0: welcome back to the question and answer session of our answering religious error program every wednesday at noon eastern standard time we want to thank everyone for joining us today Uh, with your questions you can ask questions live on our facebook uh link or the youtube link and we should be able to see that as long as you're uh, on answering religious error if you comment on someone's shared page we won't be able to see those uh but uh the best way uh, to ask a question and to have it added to our lineup for future reference is go to questions at answeringreligiousera.com and uh, we'll get to those questions as soon as we can. Uh, we'll just add that to the backlog that we already have. So if you don't hear your question for a couple of weeks, just hang in there. Uh, we, uh, we intend to get to it. If it's for some reason we can't or won't answer the question on air, uh, we will certainly correspond with you through email Uh, with an explanation why, or uh, if you'd like to just have a a private discussion, we'd be happy to do that as well. We'd like to tell you about some other programs we have throughout the week, uh, beginning on Tuesdays at noon Eastern Standard Time. Uh, There is the Answering Religious Air Live Bible Study as we go through the topics of why I believe. Yesterday's program was very encouraging as we looked at why we believe that uh, suffering is not a reason uh, to doubt the existence of God. And uh, we talked a lot about why Christians suffer and uh, you'll be encouraged by that. You can also find these programs on uh, in a podcast format. And if you're a podcast listener, you know what I'm talking about. And so you can start every day with the Daily Answer podcast with Mark Dunnigan. So as early as 5 a.m., just uh, tune in on your favorite podcast player and listen to 15, 20 minutes of Mark as he uh, gives you a little insight to life, godliness, uh, experiences of his own life. It'll really motivate you uh, for the rest of your day. Uh, There's about 232 episodes, I believe, Uh, so you got a lot of catching up to do if you haven't started listening already, so uh, please tune into that. In a moment, you'll meet Bob Myhan. Of course, Bob has his own program every Monday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and he is currently taking us through a series of lessons on angels and demons, so that's going to be very interesting. Uh, he began that study this past Monday, so go back to YouTube and and, uh, and Facebook, and you can revisit that lesson, and then uh, join us for next week on Monday. We want to introduce everyone today, and I want to thank everyone for joining us. We have a full house. We have Bob Myhan, as I mentioned a moment ago. Nick Greenman is with us, Brian Haynes, Terry Benton, and of course, Mark Dunnigan. Good to see you guys this morning. Looking forward to our study. Um, how are things going? Just couple minutes of chat i guess (laughs) chris things are things are going
1: well yeah good to see good to see all the other gentlemen on this um this
0: great panel this morning
2: it is good to be here
0: well before we begin our program uh let's bow in prayer and brian haynes would you mind leading us in prayer
3: yeah absolutely let's pray most Holy God and Father in heaven, we come before you in prayer and we give our thanks to you, Father, that you have given us the time, the opportunity, the technology that permits us to come together, contemplate the things of your word and your will, and try to uh, uh, fulfill your command. We should be ready with an answer uh, for the things that are uh, that we have put our trust in and our hope in. We pray, Father, that uh, we are diligent to search the scriptures, to find your truth, and that, Father, when your truth is presented, that all of us listen and be attentive and make application in our lives in the name of jesus we give thanks for this time amen
0: amen okay amen want uh before we get into our questions we always like to start our uh show with a segment we call meme time Okay, some of you folks may have seen this meme uh, running around. We get a lot through kind of the atheist point of view. Uh, They're famous for putting out a lot of memes that um, mock God, mock the Bible, mock the church. And in this particular case, uh, there is a mocking toward prayer. And I I suppose that this is supposed to be um, man's representation of Jesus, uh, probably taken from a movie somewhere. I don't know. But uh, as you already see, the title says Prayer because I already know what you want. I just want to hear you beg for it. And, um, sadly, and ironically, sometimes this is a perception I think some Christians might have when they're trying to contemplate, uh, why pray if God already knows our needs? What say you would like to start us off?
4: Well, I always like to counter. I like to. I'd like to take the atheist position because I once did that. I used to think, yeah, talking to an invisible god is is a useless, is an exercise in futility, until somebody confronted me with the opposite of that. Well, what what do you have? And and I got to think. Well, I have to. I have to assume that I'm here for no good reason because accidentally some chemicals got together and, and just accidentally produced all of us. And, and I really don't have a purpose and I really don't have a reason to be here. I'm just, and I don't know why, how these chemicals got in my brain to start thinking thoughts and why that is even happening. Uh, so on that, uh, with that perspective, I began to realize, well, you don't have any reason to be here. You're just an accident. You don't have anywhere you're going. And all you're worried about is how, how are these other chemicals going to affect my temporary life? And I sure hope those chemicals don't clash in such a way as to make my, my futile existence uh, uh, even less comfortable. Uh, and so i I really don't have anything to appeal to Um, but i don't have a uh, you know i'm worried about the ecosystem how it works because it's just all scrambled together by accident to start with so i look at it from that standpoint and i begin to realize well prayer to the creator of the universe makes far more sense than worrying about how the chemical reactions in my brain are going to Lead me to bad thoughts or, or, or uh, uncomfortable thoughts or depressing thoughts, or whether I have any hope at all. It's, it all would depend upon how the chemicals sloshed around and formed a, a thought and a consciousness. So I don't, I don't particularly think that prayer is a futile thing now that I realize there is a creator of the universe and he knows what's best for us and maybe he's wants us just to talk to him because talking to him is a part of of uh communication and interaction with the one that can make arrangements for great things to happen and he's already told me i i can do far more exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think but i want to hear you not because i want to hear you beg for it but i just want you to open your heart and talk to me and that makes far more sense than the the position i once occupied as an atheist uh, that i'm just here random randomly depending upon chemicals and once it's over, it's over, and I had no purpose anyway. Uh, that's pretty depressing. Uh, so I like I like my position now better than the position that I once occupied. Those are my thoughts. You
1: know, Chris, it's interesting. the The idea that God knows what we need before we ask Him comes from the Sermon on the Mount, and it's interesting in that context. The contrast is is not like. I want to hear you beg. It's the pagans, the pagans thought that they had to beg. The pagans thought that they had to use repetition after repetition and long long prayers and somehow get the attention of whatever deity out there. And so that's the context for the statement. It says they think they're could be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. And then the Lord's prayer follows and there's not any begging there. It's our father who art in heaven. It's respect and your kingdom come and your will be done. And when he says, give us this day our daily bread, that's not begging. That's just simply the acknowledgement that we need God for the most basic necessities. It's just honesty. I would say, you know, do your parents already know what you need before you ask them? Pretty much. But is their attitude? Yeah, I, I know you I know you're going to need supper tonight, but I just want to hear you beg for it. Um, does your mate does your mate enjoy hearing? I love you. OK. And, and do they do they know that you love them? But is their attitude? Yeah, I know you love me, but I just want to hear you beg. You know what? What? a I don't know. This is, this is such a pitiful meme, a pitiful attitude, particularly. Here's the thing. Remember, you know what Jude says? Jude says that the Lord's going to come with his angels and he's going to judge all the harsh things that sinners have spoken against him. This fits in that category. This is blasphemy. Jesus, who died on the cross for our sins, to mock him like this and accuse him of being like a uh, narcissistic, that is, and, and cruel. And he's the one who died for your sins. How dare you? Yeah. Go crawl under the rock that you came out underneath. You need to repent or perish. Those are my thoughts.
2: Thanks. Anybody else have a comment? You know, some people seem to think that God is uh, completely self-centered. Well, while he is the center of the universe, he is other centered. I mean, he sent his son into the world to die for their sins. And, and God has always been centered on the needs of others, spiritual needs and material needs. And uh, what father would think uh, that his child was begging because he asked the father for something? And uh, so this, this is just uh, just ridiculous. God knows what we want, but we need to ask him. He doesn't need us to ask him. He knows already, but we need to ask him because it is a manifestation of our realization of our dependence upon God. And, and those who ridicule prayer do not recognize their dependence upon God. They think they can be self, self-sufficient and independent.
0: Okay, uh, any other last comments then before we move on? All right, let's just keep in mind too that uh, you know prayer uh, kind of goes along with the relationship that we have as children with our father. Uh, just as a father, I know there's been many times I know what my children sometimes like or want and uh, sometimes I want them to realize you know their needs as well. And uh, sometimes you wait for a request and uh, God wants us to trust in him. He wants us to show that trust in him uh certainly we can say that even in taking care of our needs he takes care of those uh, all over this world i mean the atheist you know has for the most part three meals a day as we might say uh god has taken care of mankind in so many ways but we have a privilege of prayer as christians to go to our father in heaven and give praise to his name uh honor glory and uh, just like in any relationship uh, you, you want to hear from that you know just look at it from a human standpoint Uh, My family knows I love them, but if I didn't tell them uh, on a daily basis, they'd probably start to have doubts. So uh, we need to communicate these things to God. All right, uh, let's go on with some of our questions today. We have um, uh, quite a few and we have a few live ones that pops up, but we're going to go ahead and go with uh, a couple that we already have uh, on hold for a couple of weeks here. And then we'll get to some of our live uh, points and we won't be able to get to everything today. Uh, here's a common one that comes up and let me bring down this, um, this meme here. I've lost my producer today, so I've got a few, uh, technical things that I'm trying to get used to on the, for the Wednesday program, a little different from. Okay.
3: Yeah. I think our audience doesn't always appreciate how useful the producer, the person they never see is that, uh, yeah. they keep everything <laughs> going for us.
0: Okay. Our first question is, um, Is baptism by other denominations valid if it is for the remission of sins? I would just like to start by clarifying something that when you're talking about, quote unquote, other denominations, not not every church is a denomination. Uh, We teach baptism is necessary for the remission of sins. There are many other types of churches and there are denominations out there that do not think it's necessary, but practice the practice. So uh, let's put some of this into perspective. I think we understand uh, the question and where they're coming from. So who'd like to start us off?
3: Um, well, let me go ahead and get started. Um, you know, it's it's a very good question, a very important question. Um, we always talk about the idea that baptism has no power or authority with the person baptizing, meaning that the person who baptizes somebody else doesn't actually have any kind of a special authority or uh, some kind of commission that allows them to baptize. Um, that uh, they are merely uh, the person being baptized is is subjecting themselves to the will of God. Titus chapter three and verse five talks about God being the one who does the work in baptism. And it's important that we understand that. That's why we're not baptized. Uh, a church doesn't baptize, a preacher doesn't baptize, you know, that God is doing that work and men are really facilitating those things to be done. So we typically say it doesn't really matter who baptizes you. It matters what you're submitting to when you're baptized. Um, that might be an easy answer, but let's make this a little more complicated. Um, you know, a lot of times we don't actually remember why we were baptized. You know, somebody says, well, I got baptized 20 years ago. What were you thinking about when you got baptized? Well, I don't really, I don't really remember And that might be something worth considering if you were baptized by somebody who did not believe in the remission of sin. As many denominations and many, and I like what Chris said, uh, many non-denominational churches would teach. In fact, most would probably teach that baptism is about remission of your sins or being saved. It's the outward sign of the inward working of God. And they might believe that. And here's an important point, an important question you ought to ask. What was the person who baptized you telling you when you got baptized? What did you, you know, what what were you listening to? Um, Did you disagree with them and still go ahead and submit to being baptized? Did you say, you know, you and I aren't on the same page, but go ahead and baptize me anyway? uh, A lot of times people will tell me, um, usually because they just don't quite remember, yeah, I think I got baptized for that reason. And then I'll say, well, what was the person who baptized you thinking when they baptized you? Did they know that you and they were in disagreement? If if it was a Baptist preacher, he didn't baptize you for the remission of your sins. Or if it was a Methodist or if it was, you know, Lutheran, they didn't baptize you for the remission of your sins. Did you understand that you and they uh, did not agree on why you were getting baptized? Is that something you can appreciate? Um, oftentimes I try to encourage people to understand the significance of that and that uh, that's why it's important to have witnesses to our confession of faith and to our baptism that we can rely on to say, yeah, you know, they understood what was going on. They saw what was happening. Um, that's the significance of those moments. And if somebody doesn't have that confidence, well, go go get it done for the right reason. Don't, uh, you know, don't, uh, question, you know, it's not, uh, there's nothing in the Bible says you only get one shot at it. You know, uh, Acts chapter 21, we, uh, or Acts chapter uh, 19, we meet the people that were baptized again after being baptized by John. Um, go back. If you're not sure, this is too big a deal to be unsure about. And that's typically the advice I would give somebody if they were baptized and they're asking about the remission of sins within another church.
2: You know, I would ask this question, uh, by what authority were you baptized? In whose name were you baptized? Uh, Brian just mentioned uh, the, the people in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19, the first few verses there. Uh, when Paul asked them if they had received the Holy Spirit, they said, Well, we don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. He said, "Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. Now, John did baptize for the remission of sins. But uh, he baptized for the remission of covenant sins. He only baptized those who were under the old covenant and who had violated the old covenant. And it did not put them in the kingdom because the kingdom did not exist. And it was not in the name of Jesus Christ because Jesus had not yet been given all authority in heaven on earth. He had not yet instituted the Great Commission. He had not yet uh, established Uh, his kingdom and so what what i would ask and i would never argue with someone over why they were baptized if a person says he was baptized for the mission sins i will not debate that but were you baptized in the name of jesus christ that is that is what i would focus on and if he was baptized into a denomination by a denominational preacher that was not baptism in the name of jesus christ because jesus christ never authorized any of the uh, uh, denominations to exist much less to baptize people into their membership and so uh, baptist baptism does put one into a local baptist church and by virtue of that into the baptist denomination but it does not put one into christ uh, if, if a person is baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, then that's, that's, what he need, that's what he needs. When I went forward to be baptized in 1974, uh, the lesson preached was how to be cool with God. And I knew what he meant. This was a male man. He was a lay preacher. He preached uh, on occasion. He meant, you know, how to, how to be acceptable with God. And among other things, he pointed out the one must be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And so when I went forward, he asked, why did you come forward? I said, I want to be cool. Which, of course, I meant in the context of the sermon, I want to be cool with Christ. I want to be in a right relationship with God and Christ. In other words, I understood that I was not a Christian, that I needed remission of sins. And uh, and I was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. Even though I had been baptized twice previously to that, neither one of those times was I baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And neither of those times had I been baptized for the remission of sins. So when I heard the truth, I knew what I needed to do. And so I think better than to argue with someone over why they were baptized, Uh, we need to get a study with them on, uh, the authority behind their baptism. And I think that would be much more helpful to them.
4: I would add this, that when you're baptized, you are baptized because you do know something about the gospel. You do know something about the Holy Spirit, as was mentioned in Acts 19. We haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit question mark about your baptism then, um, there are certain things that you are informed about before being baptized. And one is that Jesus wants you to be, and Jesus died so that your sins could be remitted and that you're going to have them remitted in by Jesus' authority when you are baptized. Uh, the people on the day Pente- of Pentecost understood all of those things. They knew the Holy Spirit had, spoken the prophetic word and peter used it to present jesus to them and also eyewitness testimony and that the holy spirit was attesting the words of the apostles so you knew a certain amount of things that uh that said here's sin that you've committed you know this is sinful and now you want to turn away from it and you want to start a new life a certain amount of things like that that you know going into to the to baptism and if you didn't know those things then how could you be baptized really by the authority of jesus christ because he's authorized a certain amount of knowledge you've got to know the gospel uh, is good news about how to get out of sin but in the case of of baptism into a denomination that is baptism into a sinful arrangement. Denominationalism has no authority from God. So if you're baptized thinking this is entrance into this denomination, then you are misinformed about sin because that's sinful. It's one of the works of the flesh. It's it's giving support to division and heresy and giving support to sedition Uh, All of those things are involved in the very formation of denominationalism So if if and and that has to be clarified in the question is baptism by other Denominations valid. No, it's not because it's usually counted as a way to get in to their sinful arrangement So like like being baptized thinking thinking I'm gonna wash away my marriage my marriage is sinful but baptism will wash it away no it doesn't wash away the marriage the marriage is still unlawful so if you're you're entering into a contradiction by entering into a denomination at baptism and you're entering into a contradiction when you don't leave an unscriptural marriage and you're thinking that it would wash that sinful relationship away it doesn't wash it away and and if you don't leave it then you're not living the new life uh, of being in christ and challenging the works of the flesh but you're actually participating in the works of the flesh continually and deciding to continue to do that and so that just kind of contradicts the very purpose of getting sins remitted to walk a new life So uh, if you stay in the denomination, I'd say, well, you just you you're retaining sin and you're not walking away from sin. So that would be some some things to consider on that.
5: When I begin studying with folks, uh, one of the questions I like to ask them is, uh, you know, are you saved? And then when were you saved? And I I want to see how they answer that, because if I load up a question saying, hey, were you baptized for the remission of sins? Most people are going to say yes, because that's they just want to connect those dots, even that even if that was not the case to begin with. And so it can create some confusion down the road. And so I try to pinpoint what their understanding was when they were saved and when uh, when that took place, whether it was before or after uh, baptism, then that way we can address uh, the 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 situation that way. Now, I have heard of some folks. Who fought tooth and nail with their pastor of their denomination uh, by saying, no, the scriptures teach that I must be baptized for the remission of my sins. And they fought that tooth and nail and and they fought to be baptized at that moment. And I've heard of cases like that. I've heard of I heard of them breaking the ice in the creek so that they could be baptized at that moment because they they knew how important it was. Uh, and, and so. Sometimes you're going to have to take these case by case. Um, But at the end of the day, it all comes down to authority. And I think the men have really handled that well about, you know, who's by what authority are we doing these things? And that's really got to be the answer that we come to. Now, oftentimes when we study baptism, we are uh, the, the argument that is brought commonly is about the thief on the cross. And I think someone has even put that in their comments today. And I would like to address that real fast where people say, well, the thief on the cross wasn't baptized. And and so how can how can you say that baptism is necessary if Jesus saved the thief and he wasn't baptized? Well, my question to you is, how do you know that he wasn't baptized? Because when you look there with the thief on the cross and some of the things that he says to Jesus, I mean, we're in Luke chapter 23. and, And he says there in. Um, verse 42, and he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. How in the world did he know about the kingdom and Jesus was going to be the Messiah if he hadn't already been taught some of these things prior to being nailed to that cross? And when you go to John chapter 3, Jesus did baptize uh, his disciples were baptizing and and then of course john also was baptizing so john chapter 3 verse 22 and after these things jesus and his disciples came into the land of judea and there he was spending time with them and baptizing john also was baptizing in anon near Salim because there was much water there and people were coming and being baptized i am guarantee you there were thousands of thousands of being baptized how do you know that the thief was not baptized and learned about the kingdom, because he obviously learned. Uh, And so that's a a huge assumption that people are putting on that thief on the cross, trying to negate other plain scripture, uh, such as Matthew chapter 28, where Jesus commands those who are going to be his his disciples must be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or when the apostle who is guided by the Holy Spirit says, uh, repent and each and every one of you be baptized for the remission of your sins, or when Paul was told by uh, Ananias there in Damascus, why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. There are common and straightforward passages. And so it's a huge assumption to, to try to justify uh, the, the opposite of that using the thief on the cross. And so I'm gonna leave it there, but those are some of my thoughts regarding baptism and this question.
0: All right, any other thoughts then before we go on? Okay. Before we go on, we'd just like to address some of the uh, comments that we are receiving on the YouTube channel. And uh, I've requested uh, because they are, most of them are in the form of comments and are uh, kind of debating us on a few things. Uh, We're having some private discussions in the chat. So I've recommended that we continue this discussion Uh, through email. So I've requested uh, the viewer to uh, address those Uh, questions at answeringreligiousera.com. And um, so because they are getting pretty, uh, they're kind of bombarding us with a lot of comments. Uh, And I will just go ahead and say uh, off the top, if some of you as viewers are reading some of the comments that are being made, uh, these are things that are, um, uh, for the most part, we believe to be false teaching. And uh, so this is a question and answer. Uh, If you would put your questions in a a question format and uh, we will try to add to those things and get to those at some point. If you'd like to have a private discussion with us, please do. Uh, We are open to talking about these things. Uh, Unfortunately, we're limited on our time today. We have a lot of questions from the past. We don't like ignoring questions, uh, but we've had very many uh, that have been posted our way so far. And so we're going to address those uh, uh, in a different manner. So uh, we, we appreciate that. All right, let's go on to some of our, uh, I'm, I've got a lot of messages blowing up around me. So you'll have to pardon me as I'm trying to monitor questions and answer questions at the same time. And uh, let's bring up our next question. It's a little lengthy here, uh, but it says, do you have to have an ordained preacher to solemnize a wedding? Is a paper at the courthouse, a legitimate marriage? This question was asked yesterday. Oh, I'm sorry. There's a lot more to this. I didn't mean to add all this, but if anyway, um, let me try to reword some of this a little bit. So basically the question is, do you have to have an ordained preacher to solemnize a wedding is a paper at the courthouse, a legitimate marriage? I'll repost that and then uh, put that up on screen for you. Who'd like to start us off?
1: Well, it's it's interesting, Chris, is that Jesus lays down the rules for marriage itself, the relationship, and that is that God created them male and female, Matthew chapter 19. And upon that basis, a man leaves his father, mother, and cleaves to his wife. They become one flesh and God joins them together. As far as any civil ceremony, Bible doesn't really mention a civil ceremony. We are told though that to keep the laws of the land. And so in order to marry, there's some things like there's certainly no one can force you to marry, and there has to be that mutual agreement, and you have to have a male and a female. Not only that, but the male and the female getting married have to be eligible to marry. They can't not just have been in a previous marriage and left it without scriptural cause. And so, yes your ceremony at the courthouse yeah that's valid and it's not just a piece of paper you've stood there and you you've promised an oath before witnesses and and so it's not getting married in a particular venue by a particular person um or um with a particular audience or in a building in which religious services are held that is the thing that matters it to me the question Chris would be a little bit like, hey, I was baptized, but I was not baptized in a baptistry in a church building. <laughs> you know, I was baptized out in the river. is it is it still or I was baptized out in somebody's pond or in somebody's hot tub. Is that still legit? Yes, yes, because the thought is that's an immersion in water. Does't really matter where the water is. So the real question though, it's not so much the ceremony itself. It's the rules that God lays down for um, the people getting married. And so if if you were both eligible to marry and you went before the justice of the peace, you know, and you weren't forced or whatever, and you promised to each other. Uh, yeah, God joined you together. Those are my thoughts.
2: You know, also, we need to keep in mind that marrying people is not a god-given responsibility for preachers uh that 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 is something that the state gives uh, to preachers the state in which you live authorizes preachers to marry it also authorizes others to marry depending on the state and so as long as a person is authorized by the state to conduct weddings then uh the weddings conducted are legitimate as far as the 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 state is concerned now as far as god is concerned as as mark pointed out one must be scripturally eligible as well as legally uh eligible for marriage but if a person marries someone that is not eligible they're married it is not pleasing to god it is an adulterous marriage but it is a marriage. And if it's an adulterous marriage, it needs to be dissolved by divorce. There, that's the only responsibility people have who are in an adulterous marriage. But if it is a, a scriptural marriage where both parties are eligible, uh, it doesn't matter who performed the ceremony. So long as that person was authorized by the state in which they live to conduct those ceremonies. Yeah, one important thing. Matthew chapter nineteen. Um, let's let's
3: kind of be clear, and I think the men said this, but let's let's actually say it one more time for crystal, crystal clarity. It's not man that joins uh, a man and woman in marriage; it's God. So Matthew nineteen, Jesus talks about the law of marriage, his law of marriage, and what that law that we're under today is. He says, "A man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife; the two become one flesh. They're no longer two, but one flesh. What God has joined together." Let not man separate. A um, couple of characteristics there. It's one man. It's one woman. Um, Jesus goes on to qualify that it's a man that has not been married before and then had a you know divorce for reasons other than fornication. Uh, there's those uh, understandings to that point, too. But it needs to be clarified that it, it man is not the one who joins in marriage. It is God. Uh, and we need to say that because there's lots of man, lots of times today where man joins people that God does not join. That there is a sense that, uh, you know, if it is God who joins them together, He doesn't just follow man's uh, dictate and say, "Well, if man joined them, I guess I have to as well." Uh, it is God who joins a man and woman in marriage and, and another relationship that outside of that is adultery or fornication. And we need to be very clear about that. Uh, to understand too. Um, what is it that makes a marriage? There is no such thing as a marriage ceremony in the Bible, but if people ask me what it's like, I oftentimes try to make the point to say that like becoming a Christian, uh, there is a public confession, there is a, uh, you know, a forsaking all others uh, kind of dictate, Uh, there is this, uh, you know, this purpose and intent to live as husband and wife, and that those are the things that oftentimes are uh, involved in being married, that Uh, that those are the things that draw a man and woman together in marriage. Uh, And finally, to add one more point to what was said a moment ago, uh, it was said a preacher doesn't join. Let's say a church doesn't join. It's not the responsibility of the church to join a man and woman in marriage. Uh, A person doesn't have to have any kind of religious uh, uh, ceremony at all. Marriage, the Bible says, is honorable among all not just the spiritually minded. And so a person can be an atheist and be joined in marriage by God. Uh, That is important because it's not the church that has any part of that.
4: And I would add this, that when we're talking about the state authorizes marriage, uh, the state is given that authority by God, but because God gives that authority, ultimately God is in charge of what is, uh, what is, what the state is authorized to allow now the state may allow a man and a man to get married and that doesn't mean that God joins that relationship God doesn't approve of that relationship and therefore if even if the state authorizes it it does not mean that God sanctions it or condones it or that it is recognized by God as a legitimate marriage there are lots of marriages that are unlawful john the baptist confronted herod and herodias and said it's not lawful for you to have your brother's wife it's not lawful so there are certain things that the state can't override and that is they can't override the law of god they have to be in harmony with the law of god in order for that to, to work so even if they if, even in a case of a man and a woman there are still qualifications there are they authorized? are those two people authorized to be married to each other since they've had a previous relationship and if they if god joined the previous relationship and did not authorize the breaking of that previous relationship then anybody that comes along and marries them commit adultery matthew 19 9 In Matthew chapter 5 verse 32 so the state can authorize marriage only under the conditions that they match and are okay with the Word of God and so God is overriding all marriage what God joins together let not man put asunder does God join together just any marriage no he didn't join together Herod and Herodias Uh, He didn't uh, and he doesn't authorize second marriages where uh, the previous husband or wife is still alive or that we're not put away for fornication. So there are conditions that must be met in order for it to be a legitimate marriage in the eyes of God that is under the the rule of God. Those are my thoughts.
5: When we say the word state, uh, it, you know, it might be bringing some confusion to some folks that are not from the United States. Uh, we're talking about the government uh, having its say and and doing their, their work as being the government over us, the governing authorities. Uh, if we want to even simplify it even further, it's probably better to wrap our mind around it by saying it's society that establishes how we get married. And, and because you go from society to society, there's going to be so many different ways to prove that a man and a woman belong together. And, and I think that there's wisdom in that because we would want to go into the scriptures and, and find the process of how do two people get married Uh, Because it's such an important subject, but God is silent on it. And so the next level of authority is going to be the one to dictate how two people get married. And that's why we say society. Now, there's wisdom in that, because if God did tell us how to get married, then whenever we would go into these mission fields and we convert pagans into Christianity, they would have to all remarry Uh, correctly uh, according to the pattern established in the scriptures, if there was one. And so God, uh, God knows that through his wisdom. And so society from society to society, people know who belongs to whom. And, and so marriage is universal, Uh, both, uh, both uh, unbelievers and believers, pagans and, and Christians, you know, there's uh, people know what marriage is. And so that's, um, that's an interesting uh, consideration when we talk about uh, when we talk about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. And, and so we do have to respect the governing authorities. Uh, and, and of course, I would certainly uh, agree with what's been said, as long as what the governing authorities are saying is in harmony with the other parameters that the, the Word of God has established. Chris, this uh, is
1: one of those good examples of where you can get focused kind of on the wrong thing as the questioner you can get focused on like who did it or where it was done instead of wait a minute what did Jesus say about <laughs> the rules itself Matthew 19 9 I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and that's sexual immorality there and marries another woman commits adultery and that's just kind of how simple it is And I'm impressed that we can't say it's too complicated because Jesus was asked point blank, the specific question, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? He was asked that specific question. He didn't give us volumes of material. He gave us what? About six verses. (laughs) And there's your answer. And we need to accept the answer and be vocal about the answer and preach it as well.
0: We have a viewer that's uh, posted quite a few comments today and in, uh, in regard to this topic. I, I do appreciate this question. Uh, you know, what about polygamy? Uh, Jacob had four wives, collectively birthed the 12 tribes of Israel. And, of course, uh, Brian, you've done a good job of answering that in the chat on the uh, YouTube channel. And, um, you know, one of the things that we have to understand the difference of is the, the laws that uh, took place under the old law uh versus what jesus christ taught and of course going back all the way back to the beginning in regard to what god intended for marriage uh, between a man and a woman and there were some things that god i'll just say permitted not necessarily endorsed or commanded uh, in moses day he said because of the hardness of your hearts uh, such as divorce and things like that and i think polygamy was one of those things um, but yet in the new testament era uh, that was not heard of. That was not something, and it was always promoted that there would be one man and one woman. And subsequently, uh, rules and guidelines for the dissolution of a marriage based upon the unfaithfulness of one of the parties, or of course, death. And uh, with that, one was free to marry again. In regard to these things, and uh, we talk about you know the laws of the land. You can go back to the Old Testament. You can look at uh, the fact that marriages were uh, Encouraged and permitted in in you know in the laws of the land. Uh, for instance, you have Genesis 29 in Jacob's marriage to Leah. Uh, there was, of course, the law of the land was based upon the father in the patriarchal age of uh, you know a, a man and how he gave away his daughter to one to be married. Ruth chapter four gives a process in which Ruth uh, was married to Boaz. You've got Genesis two where God says the two shall become one. And so you don't always find the same ceremony or legal transactions necessarily in every example of marriage. So those do differ, uh, and here in the United States, uh, they differ from a, a standpoint that um, uh, you know we are required uh, by law to have that paper, if you will, to be married legally, and um, and and there are some you know, variations of that, depending on where you go in this world and even in some, in some countries. So, uh, that would take further, um, you know, study, I guess, and research just to see how, what the laws of the land are, but we definitely want to abide by the laws of what the government teaches us, uh, as long as it does not conflict or contradict what God's word has to say. And, um, any other thoughts on that before we continue?
5: The idea of polygamy, uh, if we do go back to the Old Testament, it was forbidden that kings multiply wives, Deuteronomy 17, 17. And then what does David do? Well, David multiplies wives. What does Solomon do? Well, he multiplies wives. Amen. And and uh, they're not, I mean, they the errors are certainly manifested through that. But that idea that God is, um, can is allowing it but not condoning it I think that's a great example to show that how in those times of ignorance God uh, was willing to overlook some things but now he commands all men everywhere to repent
4: and as oh. you look at the, and as you look at the New Testament uh, Jesus takes us back to the beginning where there was one man and one woman and then you find in first uh, Timothy 3. Um, the elders to be the husband of one wife. So the polygamy question, we dealt with that a couple of weeks ago. Um, and, uh, it has been asked before, but, uh, again, to reemphasize the Bible does not condone polygamy now.
1: Okay. And Chris, even in those old Testament examples. There's no way you can read those and go like, you know that's a great idea. I mean, those, those examples are preserved for us to, to let us know that's trouble. N- nothing those relationships were not were, were dysfunctional. And often they created problems and led people away from God. And th- learn the lesson there. The lesson is not, this is a great idea. The lesson is, hey, here's why God's plan works best. Okay.
0: All right. And this is a topic that comes up from time to time. So uh, stay tuned. You never know when it'll be asked again. Uh, Let's go on to our next question. We have time for about one more. And this is a lengthy question uh, by one of our viewers. Uh, He's tried to join us uh, for a little bit, trying to get this question out here. And this goes back to some of the thoughts on on baptism. Uh, So bear with me as I read it. Um, Brethren, in the examples we read about in the Bible on the conversions, those people were baptized the same day. I'm wondering if God understands situations, especially that we have in some places here in Africa where we do not have immediate source of water for baptism. And so a person or people who have been taught and preached for and have to complete their faith in Christ through baptism has to wait for water source. I don't remember or know of any scripture of how God takes that. And, uh, I think there's some additions to that, but, um, Unfortunately, some of the comments made on the, the Facebook and YouTube channel, they can't cover, uh, they only allow certain limitations. But I think we get the gist of what's being asked here, especially as we encourage people uh, that their confession of Christ, uh, you know, works simultaneously with the action of baptism. What do you do if water is not readily available?
1: Well, you go get it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, there, there's a number of examples like in okay. Acts chapter 2, Chris. In Acts chapter 2, I don't know how long it took the people to walk to the pool where the nearest pool was or whatever, but you start heading that way or you start having the water brought to you. That would be my thought. Um, So the next step is I just need to find enough water to be immersed in.
0: I think through history we see people that would go on very long treks for the sake of their faith. And uh, Mm -hmm. if it takes you miles and miles, if it means you have to take time off to travel for a certain amount of time, I think that's uh, that's necessary, a, a quest, if you will, uh, to go and seek that source. And, uh, sometimes we just can't look around our particular environment and say, well, I can't do it. So God must understand. What are some of your
4: other thoughts? Well, I was thinking the same thing. The Ethiopian eunuch was talking to Philip in acts chapter eight, they came along and came to some water. So that provided the opportunity to go ahead here's water what hinders me there so if they hadn't come upon the water that would have been that hindrance of being baptized at that moment so he was hindered up to that moment uh so i guess you could say uh if you don't have water immediately around you you're hindered from being baptized right then but as mark said go ahead and start in the direction where you can get to some water and i do think uh, think acts chapter 9 is relevant there are extenuating circumstances uh, for example in acts 9 saul now believes jesus is the christ but he doesn't know what he needs to do to be saved yet and he was told go into the city and it'll be told to you what you must do well guess what it was three days later that uh, that ananias came to to saul and says what are you waiting for get up and be baptized uh and wash away your sins so the extenuating circumstances he didn't know what to, what he was supposed to do and it, it took three days for somebody to get there to tell him and as soon as he learned what to do and he had the ability to to uh, to be immersed he was immersed right then so yes, I think there are extenuating circumstances that you've got to get to the water first, get the start heading there because that's what the Lord wants you to do to have your sins remitted. Those are my thoughts.
1: You know, it's a little bit Chris like you're you're right you're right on empty in the car. Which gas station do you go to? The nearest one you can find. Yes, just the nearest one you can find.
0: Nick, you had a comment.
5: Well, you know, it, uh, Terry took it from me. That's okay. all right. Uh, but uh, this is going back to Acts chapter eight, verse thirty-six. You know, at the very first opportunity, uh, uh, he was baptized. He says, "Look here, is water. What hinders me from being baptized?" And I think it's important too to re- remind ourselves that. When Philip met the Ethiopian eunuch, they were headed, he was headed back to Ethiopia. And the road that he was on was a desert road. And so there was very little water available. Uh, and, and so people would try to justify different forms of baptism, uh, such as sprinkling or pouring. And this is another great example that the authorized form of baptism is immersion into water. Because this uh, Ethiopian eunuch, he is not poor. He's got he's going to have a caravan with him he is the treasurer for a queen and so he's going to have provisions in his caravan to make it back home for his entire entourage and what's going to be in those what's going to be in those provisions well there's going to be plenty of water for pouring and sprinkling if that was a mode that was uh, justifiable but it wasn't and we don't see him using that Uh, But when there was a body of water sufficient enough for him to be baptized into, that's when he uh, said, look, here is water. What hinders me from being baptized? And I think that's a powerful example for many different reasons. uh, The question specifically, but also for the idea of sprinkling and pouring.
0: Excellent, excellent comments. And I would suggest to the folks listening that, uh, you know, as long as you're able, if it's within your power, uh, we have a responsibility toward the things that are available to us. Uh, we cannot judge what we do based upon the hypotheticals of someone else. And uh, what happens to some, if we try to say it's justified by this, this, or this, uh, that's not, a, we got to go by God's standard. We must go by God's standard. And, uh, you know, to say that God excuses or allows or permits, we don't have the authority to do things like that. So we need to take every step necessary in order to accomplish God's will, Um, we know that water is, um, you know, some type of necessity. I appreciate one of the points that one of our viewers made that sometimes it's got to be a, you know, a muddy hole in the ground. Uh, it's not the kind of water. It's not a blessed water. It's not a holy water. It is, it is the act of obedience in baptism. And, uh, it's, it's not, um, you know, it's not something that requires, well, we require water to live. Uh, so in most cases, in a lot of, a lot of ways, you're going to find some access and you may have to, you may have to make a quest in order to do so. And, uh, what a fantastic, uh, you know, example of faith that would be. And I've never seen an example where someone was determined to do God's will, that God did not allow that to take place. People want to give hypotheticals a situation. What if they don't make it to the water? What if they die on the way? What if they have heart attack? Uh, people might claim that there are stories like that. I've never personally seen one. Uh, I believe that God does not hinder anyone from salvation. And so let's make every effort that we can. We've had a lot of comments today, a lot of interesting ones, uh, that will be discussed in private with some people, a lot of, uh, uh, a lot of questions that we don't necessarily have time uh, to get to on this program as we are out of time this morning. And, um, I just want to, uh, you know, recognize the fact that a lot of people are, are, you doing a great job participating today. It's been an exciting study, but that's all we have time for. So we do apologize. And I want to impress upon everyone, please uh, email us questions at answeringreligiousera.com. And that way we can contemplate the things that are being said. We can have some back and forth dialogue uh, so that we can get to your questions in a future show. Any of the last comments before we close up our program today, guys?
3: Can I just throw one comment out? We see one of our viewers says, I'm, I plan to get baptized. Uh, I want to encourage that that viewer, don't plan to get baptized, get baptized. Yeah. Um, if we can help you're... in any
0: way uh, in administering that, please let us know. We don't know where yes. you are. We can find brethren in the area where you're at uh, that can contact you. Send us a message, questions at answeringreligiousera.com, and we'd be happy to put somebody in touch with you uh, so that you can uh, fulfill uh, this um You know, this need. There are many churches out there that will say, you know, so-called churches that will say, uh, you know, you're saved before baptism. We don't believe the Bible teaches that. Uh, We don't practice that. Uh, There are many that will say, we'll schedule your baptism weeks in advance or whatever. Again, there's no precedent or example in the scripture uh, to do so. These acts of obedience, steps of obedience, whatever you want to call them, they're simultaneous things. And we need to uh, act upon our faith now. So if we can encourage you anyway, please reach out to us. Guys, it's been good being with you today. I won't be on the programs next week, but I will be listening wherever I am. And uh, hopefully Brian Garlock will be able to come back at least on Wednesday, I think, is his plan. I'm not going to hold him to it, but uh, we hope to see him and a few others. Thank you so much for being here today. Just want to remind our listening audience of some of the things going on. Uh, and I uh, uh, won't spend time giving too many announcements. Just a reminder that we do have our Tuesday show at noon eastern standard time a live bible study why i believe we of course are back here every wednesday at noon eastern standard time and like i've been saying several times to the lesson uh questions at answering submit your questions to there and we'll add those to the lengthy list that we are getting and uh if you posted something today that we didn't get to if you'll rewrite that and send it to questions at answer religious Sarah that way we can make sure that we have a copy of your question and add it to our list want to remind you to start your weekday with mark dunnigan and the daily answer podcast that's every monday through friday as early as 5 a.m join bob Myhan next monday as he continues through some a series of studies about angels and demons. I think you'll be encouraged by those lessons. I want to thank everyone for joining us today, and we'll see you next time on Answering Religious Error.